And I just had a sense as we were praying before and I'm listening to the number of people who just quietly praying in tongues. And the sense came over me that God has imparted an interpretation for those prayers. And I believe that God is wanting to minister. He's been ministering to me, believe me. But he's wanting to minister to all of us today. He was a very wealthy businessman. A wonderful Christian man. Lived in Chicago in the United States. But life isn't always as smooth as we would like. And over a very short period of time, first of all, his family lost a young son. I understand scarlet fever. Those of you who have been through something like that will know how traumatic that is. Shortly after, there was a massive fire that went through Chicago. You can go and read about the Chicago fire. And his business was burned out. He decided that he would take his family for a holiday, some respite, take them back to Europe, back to England, and he booked passage on a boat. And uh, the last moment, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist at the time, asked him would he stay back and help with an evangelistic series of meetings. The passage was booked, so he organised for his wife and daughters to go on ahead and he would follow after it finished. News came back a few days later that a tragedy had taken place in the Atlantic Ocean. There'd been an incident on a boat and the boat had sunk and he received word that it was the boat that his family was on. A few days later, he received a telegram from Europe. And the telegram was from his wife, and it simply said, I am saved alone. As quickly as possible, he booked passage on a boat. And as though partly over the Atlantic Ocean, the captain of the boat came to him and said, Sir, as best as we can estimate, we are over the spot where your daughters were lost. He went up on deck and stayed for a while. He went back to his cabin and in his cabin was pondering. It seems that sometimes life is just so beautiful and calm and placid like a, like a river flowing gently to the sea. But sometimes life is like sometimes life is like those sea billows that he saw rolling one after the other after the other after the other. It seemed there's no end to them. And he sat down and he penned the words of a song that we've been singing ever since when peace like a river floods over my soul 
or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever, my Lord, you have caused me to know it is well. It is well with my soul. Today, I'd like to help us to gain an understanding or refresh an understanding of the way our minds, the way our soul, spirit, interpret what is going on around us. Years ago, Margie and I were operating the little local newspaper in Tenterfield, and during that time got heavily involved in advertising and came across an interesting phrase they used in advertising. They kept coming up with, with the term that uh, perception is more real than reality. Yeah. And you know the truth of that because you see it in the advertising all the time. They're trying to create a perception. You can sit in front of your television and life is good, life is happy, there's not another thing I need in the world and by the time they've finished with an advertising spell there's half a dozen things that I need urgently, I need to be doing it straight away. And two hours later I think about, well, I'm not quite so sure about that but they have created the perception. An illustration that they used to use uh, was... Uh, a fishmonger, a fish merchant, and he has a tray of beautiful, beautiful fresh fish. They are nearly flapping on the tray, just waiting for somebody to come and buy them. He also has another tray of fish that were caught two... Now, don't get me wrong, they're not stale. They were caught two days ago, but, and they've been refrigerated and kept, and they are lovely and fresh as well. These are nearly flapping. These are a couple of days old. But these ones are on a bed of ice and they've got crushed ice sprinkled over the top of them and a few sprigs of parsley. And people will come in and look at the stale fish and say, why can't we have beautiful fresh fish like this instead of the stuff that's still flapping on the plate? What's the difference? The perception. In their eyes, the perception said, this is fresh, that is stale. Perception becomes... We live in that world where information is being fed to us overwhelmingly through, not only through the media, but through events that are happening in our lives. And we are interpreting those for ourselves using the gift, could we call it a gift? Using perception we have a bit of a headache. Perception will have us lying in a coffin having passed away with a brain tumour. We have three days without rain and all of a sudden it's the longest drought in living memory. We have a phone call from the principal at our child's school and all of a sudden our son's life has become a life of crime. It's where most of us most of us do a lot of our interpretation. Even as Christians, we can be influenced by this. Romans twelve three warns us not to think highly of ourselves, but to think soberly. 
Can I emphasise that? We need to think soberly, not let our perception run off into the wild blue yonder. The next level, the next step up is living in the world of facts. And that's where most of us like to think that we live. Just drop the palaver, give us the facts, and we'll get on with making good, sound decisions from there. And to that point, the doctor says the headache was just a migraine from having too much chocolate. Cut off the chocolate and you might find your migraines will disappear. Or you might say it's some terrible disease and you've only got three months to live. Just the facts. And the teacher says the child is failing in maths, but they're brilliant. Oh, I had a daughter like that. I had a daughter who couldn't add four and four three times without getting eight different answers. She was brilliant, but she was a brilliant artist. So she'd sit up till two o'clock in the morning doing art assignments that she was already going to get an A plus for, but still couldn't work out any maths and she couldn't... Amazingly, she's nearly as old as me now. She's catching up, I think. (laughs) Teaches high school and they actually got her teaching high school maths. (laughs) And she said it was wonderful because she could understand the kids that couldn't understand and she could help them from there. Stick to your art, sister. Or something. It's also possible the teacher might say that the kid was busted down in the toilet blocks with a bunch of other kids doing drugs. Those things happen. Facts. The weather forecast might come across and say there's a big rain depression moving in from the west. We expect four inches before the end of the week. Or they could say the Southern Oscillation Index says rain unlikely for the next 12 months. It's all the facts. Can I give you the answer? Okay. I'm sorry, I've given you bad news now for the good news. See, there's one step up further from perception and facts. The next step up is truth. Truth. The fact givers don't control the truth. The doctor said to my parents, I was this age, and those at the back can't see, but you've got a little, little toddler here. How old? 14 months. 14 months, yeah. I was maybe just a little bit older. The doctor said, sorry, going to be a cripple. Poliomyelitis, crippled up. By the time I was five, I was virtually wheelchair bound and would be that way for the rest of my life. That was the Facts. Do you want to know the truth? You're looking at the truth. You're looking at the truth. We can listen to facts until we're blue in the face and staring disaster in the eyes, but until we have come to the truth that it is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. I don't care what the facts are saying. I don't care if they're declaring it's the longest drought in history. I don't care about that. I know that God is on the throne and one boy God is on the throne. Hey, that's the truth. I'm sorry I didn't catch that one. I've got a case of Okay, yeah. 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 Okay, let's keep going. Actually, the song, It Is Well, 
I don't, I don't know. The uh, guy that wrote it, by the way, you're going to look it up later, I know, a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. Uh, that's the man. But I don't know if he realised it as he was uh, writing the song, but he was actually basing that on some words from Scripture. Do you reckon we could backtrack this scriptural background for it and see how we go from there? And again, you're going to go back and look at later in your version of the Bible. But the story that is told in Second uh, Kings chapter 4, and when you go back and look at it, you're going to be reading from about uh, verse 8 and on through to the end of the chapter. But when you read that story, you read the story of Elisha the prophet. And Elisha the prophet has come into a village called Shunem. And when he arrives at the village of Shunem, a wealthy woman was there and she said to him, don't hang around here. This is Jeff's version, by the way. Uh, you won't find it on the internet. All right, you've got to listen closely. Okay, she said, don't hang around here. There's all sorts of ruffians hanging around in the middle of the town here. You could end up in all sorts of trouble. Instead, you need to come home with me and my husband and have dinner at our place. And so he went there and she said to him, whenever you come into town, don't hang around here. I warn you about the centre of town. Don't go there. Just come straight to our place and you'll be able to have a meal with us. And so that happened on a number of occasions. Uh, Elisha went and visited with their place as he was transiting backwards and forwards. And then she went and said to her husband, I, I think it would be a really good idea. He comes and visits with us, but it's not always convenient for us to try and rustle up a bed for him or whatever. Why don't we build a room up on the top of our house and then whenever he comes, he can just go up the steps and we'll have a bed in there, we'll have a table in there, we'll have a lamp in there. He doesn't need to make any announcements. He can just arrive and that'll be so much more convenient. And that's what happened. It was good. And so they visited on a number of occasions and on one of the occasions Elisha is resting on the bed and he says to his servant, call the woman, I want to talk to her. And the woman comes and stands in the doorway and he says to her, you are so generous, you and your husband have been so good, so kind, what can we do for you? I actually have right ear of the king I can talk to some of the principals, some of the, the counsellors. I, I can have some influence on your behalf. And she said, no, no, it's all fine. We're, we're well. We're, we're at peace within our own home, within our own people. It's fine. And she went away. Now, this is my version. I suspect that it's not too far from the point because she, he then said to Gehazi, his uh, servant, what is there? And he, Gehazi said something along the, fact, the words of, are you blind? What is wrong with you? You're a prophet of God. You can see into the future. You can see all sorts. But you can't see with your own eyes what is so blindingly up. What? What are you talking about? Can't you see that they are married, been married a long time? count their children 
None. And you watch whenever one of the ladies her age goes past with four kids in tow and a baby in arms. And she goes all... And she grabs the baby and holds it to her breast and nurses the baby and hugs the baby and goos over. And after they have gone, she sits in the corner by herself. And after a while, she comes out and wipes the tears away and big sigh and gets on. Are you blind? Can't you see? She aches to have a child of her own. But she's on the edge of top edge of childbearing years and her husband's an old guy, they have no chance of having children. Can't you see? Call her again. Bring her up. She came and stood in the doorway and he said to her this time next year you're going to be nursing a baby of your own. She burst into tears, please don't do that, please don't say that. I've been prayed over, I've been prophesied over, I've had so many people cast out the demons, all all of those things have been going on so many times and each time it has come to nothing. I've been two days late so many times and I've been so excited and then it's turned into nothing at all. And now you come and say this and in 12 months' time I'll be crying worse than ever. No, 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 it's all right. And in 12 months' time, she was nursing her new baby. Can you imagine the love that that mother poured into that little baby? Can you imagine that? Just holding him close and sitting and instead of tears, smiling. She just loved him to the crazies wasn't safe to go near her house, she'd pop out of the house, grab her iPhone and pop up, see the latest photos? We, we laugh about Margie and I. Uh, we reckon we should have lessons on being a grandmother. A true grandmother knows how to walk across a pedestrian crossing slowly and when the B-double has to stop, say, oh, while you stopped here, this is my grandson. <laughs> That, was the, that would be the reaction of this lady from Shunem. So you've got the background. This kid is loved to the crazies. He grew up. He's now a little boy, past toddler stage. And one day his father is out with the reapers working in the fields and he goes out with his dad. But partway through the morning, he started complaining, I've got a headache, I've got a headache. And Dad said to one of the servants, here, hop on the tractor and take him back home. So he picked him up and carried him back home to his mother. And his mother nursed him for a little while, and it just seemed that he was getting worse and worse. And all of a sudden, he gave a sigh, his body shook. And he was gone. He's gone right there in her arms. The life has gone out of his eyes. She closes his eyes and carefully carries him upstairs and lays him on the bed of the prophet. Prophet. 
and then goes out into the field. The world has just finished. She comes to her husband and she says to her husband, please give me a donkey, give me a servant. I need to go and see the prophet. Yeah, husbands are thick. Everybody knows that. Oh, well, all the ladies know that. Husbands don't, just don't get things sometimes, all right? The boy was sick, sent home to his mother, and his mother has just come back by herself asking for a loan of the fastest vehicle on the farm. You think the husband would sort of gel that we've got a bit of a problem? Is everything well? But she realised that her husband was not the solution. She can stay there and tell him every last detail of how she felt. But that isn't where the solution lies. And so she recites those words, and those of you who are looking in a King James Version will find it exactly. It is well. Modern translations have something like, it's all right, it's okay. Aussie version would say, she'll be Jake, it's all right. But the reality is, inside of her wasn't all right. But God is still on the throne. And in the middle of this, I want you to know, in the middle of the worst event in my life, it is still well. She takes the donkey, gives instructions, don't pedal to the metal, don't ease up, don't back off. Even if I scream for mercy, don't ease off on the curves, just flat as a chap. I mean, sorry, donkey, donkey. Uh, but don't slow down, don't stop. Just keep going, keep going, don't stop until... So, she headed off. She had a fair walk. It was best as I can calculate. It was about 25 miles, about 40, <coughs> 45 kilometres. We're talking serious walk. Those of you who tried walking 40 kilometres will know that it gets your attention. But she headed off to meet him. And while she was coming towards the prophet, uh, he was on Mount Carmel. Those of you who know the geography would know she's probably crossing across the plain of Megiddo, heading towards the township of Megiddo, who was at the foothill of Mount Carmel. But he was on Mount Carmel and he's looking down and he sees her coming and recognised from some distance that's a Shunammite woman. She's coming. She's coming by herself. What's going on? Sends the servant down. What's going on? Is the servant part of the solution? Mm -hmm. So what's her answer to him? It is well. I tell you, sometimes we take pleasure in reiterating every last detail of what it is that is going wrong in our lives. Okay, don't look at me like that. You've done it, I've done it. We're all guilty of it, aren't we? Yeah. And sometimes we want to reiterate it over and over and over again. Can I suggest sometimes we need to minimise that? Because all we are doing is reiterating facts, not truth. Yeah, 
We need to be reiterating truth. What is the truth? It is well. My God is still on the throne. And even though a disaster has come and seemed to have overwhelmed me, he is still there. It is still well. Everything is great because God is great. She eventually arrives, and you probably know the story as well as I do. I'm just putting it in different words so we can get a grasp on it. But she eventually arrives to the prophet and just grabs hold of him by the ankles and won't let go. The servant gets ready to drag her away. and No, no, leave her, leave her. She's got an anguish of heart. I don't know what it is at this stage, but there's an anguish of heart. She doesn't need to spell it out. But when she says that the little boy that you promised, I told you, please don't make the promise. Please don't break the promise. What did you do? Went ahead and now we've got the baby and now I've lost the baby. Please. Hey, he knows. Since Gehazi off her head, you know the story, Gehazi went and laid the, uh, the rod on the little boy and nothing happened. He's still dead. Comes back and reports and Then the prophet goes and goes up to the room, lays himself down on the boy, body heat comes across. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm doing time estimation. I'm saying 36 hours minimum since the boy has died, he's dead. But now, walks backwards and forwards, lays himself on the boy, and the boy breaks out in sneezes. And they call the mother and gives the child back to his mother. But those words that became part of that hymn were founded out of that short phrase that that woman repeated in those circumstances. Now, I'd suggest that there's a fair percentage of you people with the sound of my voice who have been through those circumstances are going through those circumstances right now or maybe have those circumstances in front of you. Becoming a Christian doesn't isolate you from the, the circumstances. Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Did you know that when the rain falls, sometimes it brings gentle showers and the grass grows and cows grow fat and all of those nice things? But sometimes the rain comes on the just and the unjust. And it comes in a storm and a torrent and washes houses away and all of those things. Becoming a Christian, I, I thank God for it. Becoming a Christian doesn't isolate us from those but it gives us a confidence that it is well. In the middle of this circumstance, my God is still on the throne. I am his, he is mine, and the circumstances aren't going to change any of that relationship. And what happens now, in five years' time, I can look back on and say, thank God for that. I'm reminded of couple of guys 
I've lost my notes here, but that's all right. It is well. I'm just reminded of a, uh, a young teenager and his father has sent him to take some food for his brothers out in the battlefield. Margie and I were in Israel last year. Don't ask me about that. We could preach another sermon. It was a wonderful experience. But our God was pointing out that there's a lot of stuff that people are shown that, you know, a little bit questionable. But some of the places they are pretty certain of, and one of the things they are pretty certain of, this is the original site, and they took us down to a particular crossroads, and at that crossroads there are three hills. And they say, this is where, that hill was probably where King Saul was. That hill over there was probably where the Philistines were. And they were in a position of total stalemate. The, uh, they'd encamped themselves, they were well established. But if one side came down off the hill and went towards the other, all of a sudden their arrows only reached halfway up the hill. All of a sudden their slings only reach halfway up the hill. They can't reach the enemy, but the enemy can reach them easily from their vantage point. It was a stalemate. Neither neither armies were game to advance. Neither army was game to retreat because if they start retreating, the others would follow them, gain the advantage of the hill country and then be able to follow them from that advantage. It it was interesting. But when you see that, you understand the, the facts were that God's people were at a stalemate with the enemy. They weren't able to go anywhere. And then this giant of a bloke comes down, great big bully of a thing, a thug of a man. Send somebody down to fight with me. I'll show them a thing or two about fighting. And whoever wins the fight, they'll become the rulers and the others will become servants. And the facts were, it was not a good situation. The facts were pretty clear. But the facts didn't take account of the truth. A young teenage boy comes down into that situation and while everybody else is cringing, he says, show me, I want to take him. Yeah, but he's so big. Yeah, I know. He's so big, I can't miss him. I like them big fellas. Them skinny blokes are a bit of a worry, but a big fat fella like he's, he's in trouble. Well, the truth, the truth is stronger than the facts. We know the story. We know the history. Goliath became history. King's ordered a big celebration out on the plain. He's built a great big monument and they're going to be unveiling and it's going to be a big party and it's going to be wonderful. And the the three young rulers are there with the rest of the rulers for the nations and and they're there, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they're... And all of a sudden, the good day turns bad. The king announces, when we play the rock music, everybody's to bow down and worship this image that I've set up. It's so wonderful. It's an image of me, and you go bow down and worship. Hang on. Whoa, hold it there. We don't worship anybody else. The king got upset. And the facts were that the three boys are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and they're going to be cinders very, very quickly. That's the facts. What's the truth? 
didn't we throw three men into that fire? But I see four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of Man. The fact is that no matter what the circumstances we might find ourselves going through, we have a fourth man in the fire going through those fires with us. It is well, it is well, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. When, when, when we can get that, not, not just, I don't want to teach you this. I'd love to impart it. So that it becomes part of you. So that every time when circumstances continue to come, you can have something that wells up within you that just simply says, I don't care what the facts are, it is well. It is well with my soul. Paul and Silas in jail. And the facts, being whipped. Uh, it's been a long time since I had a whipping. <laughs> Grew up in an age where it was appropriate and <laughs> well deserved on more than one occasion. <laughs> but uh, even then, it was a whipping that was given in love. But when you get a whipping that's given in hate, that's a different story altogether. And they've had one of those locked away in the jail and probably going to be left there to rot. There'll be no trial. They're finished. The leaders in the town have taken a dislike to them. End of story. What's the facts? They can't ever escape. They're right in the middle of the jail. They're chained up. Their history. That's the facts. What's the truth? My God. My God. Middle of the night. God sends an earthquake and all of a sudden they're free and all of a sudden the jailer's crying out on his knees, what must I do to be saved? And all of a sudden he's the one who takes them out and bathes them and helps them with their healing. And Oh yeah, facts, truth, two different things. And the truth we need to be remembering. What, what was it again? What is the truth? It is well. Yeah. Actually, there are some circumstances we simply don't know how to pray. Those of you following the news from Pakistan, anybody following the news from Pakistan the last couple of days? Young lady, nine years ago, was arrested and put on death row for blasphemy against the prophet. I tell you the truth, I'm not sure it's possible to bring blasphemy against the prophet. Uh, That's another story. And some of the things that she had raised were just simply facts. But people didn't like it. Uh, There was a problem with drinking water, drinking utensils, whatever it was. It was pretty petty. But some of the people there in in her village made a formal complaint about her and that was the end of the story she's put on death row. Her case had turned into a political one and politicians were killed trying to defend her. This last week, three judges of the High Court have ordered that she be released. 
problem is, while she was in the jail, there was a, an ability to protect her. Once she's released from the jail, she's totally vulnerable to the crowds. A couple of organisations are working heavily in the background to see if they can get her and her family either legally extradited, which may or may not happen, but failing that, some, uh, some way in the background of getting her and family out of the country where she can be... The three judges, their lives are at risk. That's the facts. What's the truth? God hasn't abdicated. God didn't slip sideways and say, I think there's somebody greater than me. God is still on the throne. And we can still say, in spite of that, it is well. A friend was telling us just recently, a guy visiting in Ireland and driving up and down the west coast of Ireland and on a number of occasions passed a large large hill, small mountain. And he was told that on top of that there was a, a Druid castle, which was code for they had got a whole bunch of stones and put them into a particular formation to suit the Druid worship. Centuries, centuries passed. But it was there, nobody went near it. There was a walking track there for anybody who wanted to, but nobody went near the place. And as a Christian, he suddenly felt, I want to go there. I want to go up there. I want to pray over that place. I, I, I'm, I want to be there and just declare God is on the throne. I don't care what the Druids did here back then, but this is God's place. So he took his wife and they drove to the parking area that would lead to this spot. There was about an hour's walk from parking area. His wife bailed out, so he went by himself. It was an hour's walk to the bottom of the hill and then having to climb all the way up to the hill. And he got up to the top there and nobody's ever there. It's, it's totally isolated. Nobody ever goes there except for occasional worker who will go and cut some bushes along the track. And he got up there and first thing he saw was there was a young man sitting over the side. He thought, that's interesting. I wonder what he's doing here. Anyhow, he went over and he sat down by himself. And as he was just sitting there contemplating, thinking, suddenly there's a tap on the shoulder. Did God send you? What, what do you mean, did God send me? Well, uh, Scottish young man, very broad Scottish. And he looked out across the valley and he said, it's all sheet down there, which is... We won't translate that into English, will we? It's a, we're an Australian church. But it's all rubbish down there. <laughs> and... He said, I, I tried to commit suicide yesterday. Things got so bad. And as I was in the process of that, I suddenly became aware that I was in a spiritual battle and it was the devil that was driving me. And then something else came in and said, you're going to meet me, God, tomorrow. He said, well... That means I can't very well continue with the suicide, can I? And he decided where would be the best place to meet God if God's going to meet me tomorrow. 
And the obvious place is on the highest mountain that was around the place. He had gone up there. He had been sitting there for eight hours with an expectation, God is going to meet me tomorrow. And next thing, this guy comes walking up and sits over, Are you God? <laughs> Good question, isn't it? But oh, what a privilege to lead that young man to the Lord. Share Jesus with him. He met God. After they'd finished, the young man said, you know, there's a guy back in our village. He, he talks like you all the time. He's the man. You go back. He's going to mentor you. He's going to look after you. See, even, even in those worst circumstances, when it's all rubbish down there, and, and let's face it, Read today's newspaper, read tomorrow's newspaper, last week's newspaper, whichever one you look at, you will find stories that will leave us. What do they have? They've got the, well, sometimes they've got the facts. Some newspapers have facts. But very few have the truth. The truth is God is still on the throne. It is well. It is well with my soul. I've asked the band... If they could, they're very obliging because we didn't give them much notice on this. But ask them, could they come and share with us? And we, we can sing this, but I, I don't want to sing it. I would prefer that you shout it, yell it, scream it. I want you to, instead of just singing another song, carefully look at the words and make this as a faith declaration for yourself. Lord God, you're on the throne. It is well, it is well with my soul. Thanks, guys.